Welcome to the Airman Helping Airmen podcast. I'm your host, Khalid Wright, CEO, Air Force Aid Society. Join me as we chat with extraordinary guests, share stories, and learn how amazing people are making a difference in the lives of so many Air Force and Space Force families. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Happy New Year and welcome to another episode of our Airmen Helping Airmen podcast. Of course, I'm Khalid, your Air Force Aid Society CEO. And as always, I have a very special guest with us today. Her name is Lizanne Lightfoot. And I want you to be patient with me here for just a second. I typically don't like to read too much, but man, this is, she's just such an amazing person. I want to make sure you get the full gist of who we're talking to today. So Lizanne has been a military spouse for the past 19 years. Her husband has deployed seven times. Five of them have been combat deployments and they have five children. Lizanne is not just a military spouse, though. She is a freelance writer, a published author, an assistant editor, and a professional blogger who creates articles that inform and encourage others. Some really, really good stuff. And as a military spouse, her favorite topic to write about is military life. She's written for numerous military publications and websites. Now, her blog, her military spouse blog, is called Seasoned Spouse where she encourages other spouses through the challenges of military life with advice, resources, and a lot of humor. The blog has quickly gained popularity on social media and now has up to 25,000, 25,000 unique page views every month. She also offers deployment masterclasses, guides, and other resources to her blog. She is the author. She is the author. I'm an aspiring author, so I got a lot to learn from her. She is the author of the new book, Open Win, Letters of Encouragement for Military Spouses, a collection of encouraging, informative letters for military spouses to read when facing specific events or challenges of military life. She's also the author of The Ultimate Deployment Guide, Learn to Handle Deployment Like a Boss. And she recently announced that she will be a co-host for the weekly webinar, PCS Grades, where she will bring resources, answers, and moving solutions to the military community. I will make sure that you have all of her information, all of her blog, all of her Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, so that you can check out Lizanne Lightfoot. Lizanne, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. That's quite an introduction, and I definitely appreciate you taking the time to highlight all of that. It's really nice to celebrate all the work that I've been doing for the past few years. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I want to start off with just this question. First of all, again, thanks for carving out some time to speak to us, but man, how do you do it? What drives you? What gets you out of the bed in the morning? I do love serving our community, and I really do have a passion for helping other people. And once I directed that passion into the military spouse community, it became immediately fulfilling because I know that there are spouses out there who need help navigating the challenges of this life. And it also is very satisfying for me that all of the crazy situations I've been through, all of the challenges that I've faced during my husband's full-length career, that now there's a meaning behind all of that. And I can use the challenges and the pain and all the stress that I went through 
and direct that into something useful and profitable and helpful to others. Yeah. So tell me, like, what's your experience been like as a spouse? So as you were going through all the deployments and all the challenges of being a military spouse, were you thinking like, wow, this is pretty easy. I'll just write it down and pass it along to everybody else. Or has it been like really challenging and you reflected on some of the things that you went through and then decided to do the work that you do? It was not easy, for sure. I can't think of a time that I've just been coasting along happily in military life. Yeah, I knew the answer to that. (laughs) But I do think there's kind of a before and after to when I started writing. And before I started writing, I had been a spouse for, I think, eight or nine years. So we'd been through three duty stations at that point. I spent most of that time unemployed as a stay-at-home mom. had my first children very close back-to-back. So when he was deployed at one point, we had a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a newborn. And it was a very, very busy and challenging part of life. But at the same time, during those difficult years, I didn't think that I was doing anything interesting, unique, or special. I was just surviving and doing what I could and scrambling to find resources and whatever would work. And I thought that everyone else was doing that too. And there was a real shift when we got to his fourth duty station in California. He's a Marine, so we were at Camp Pendleton. And at that point, we were just coming back from an overseas tour. I had little ones. We were getting ready for his sixth deployment. And spouses in the unit started coming to me asking for help. They knew that I had little kids that had been through deployment before. They knew that I had written a book about being overseas. And so suddenly I was this source of information that I didn't even realize was unique or useful information. I thought everyone was navigating the same challenges and figuring things out. So once I realized that I had the means and the ability to help other spouses and to make life just a little bit easier for the next person, that really transformed everything that I do. Yeah. Wow. And I'm sure so many of our spouses and service members actually appreciate all the great work that you've done. Let me make sure I understood you correctly. You said you had a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a newborn. Yeah. And your husband was deployed. Yeah, the baby was born during the deployment. So yeah. that's a story in my book. <laughs> yeah, tell me about that experience. Actually, tell me if you could, knowing what you know now, if you could go back in time and give yourself some advice as that spouse, as that new mother, what would you say to yourself? Oh, gosh, that is difficult. It was a challenging time. I knew from the time that I found out that I was pregnant, that it would be a deployment baby just because of the way the timing worked. It seemed very unlikely that he would be able to be there for the birth. He was preparing for a combat deployment in Afghanistan. And so he was focused on his mission. And for months, my mission was preparing for the birth. And I did that and I made plan A, B, and C, and I had all my helpers lined up. And then a hurricane hit our coastal (laughs) North Carolina town. (laughs) And at this point with hurricanes, you know, a few days in advance that they're coming. So we knew it was going to happen. I was already past my due date. So I could not evacuate because I could literally give birth any day. And scrambling to redo all my plans, the birth itself went fine. The baby was healthy. I was healthy and all that. But the hospital lost power. So I was kind of, the base had been shut down, but they were only allowed to leave the labor and delivery part of the hospital open. So it was just me and these poor, like, nurses and doctors sheltering in the hospital during a hurricane. And it was in some ways a traumatic experience. It was horrible to be alone and dealing with that level of stress and uncertainty, not being able to communicate with my spouse who I wanted to be with more than anything at the time. So there was a certain amount of recovery from that and postpartum depression and a lot that 
that goes into that kind of an experience that the deployment is a part of that, but you can't separate the deployment from the birth from all of the other emotions that were going on at the time. So I wish I had been able to tell myself that this is a brief season. You're going to be able to do this one day at a time. It's not going to be like this forever. But I was really struggling and it was difficult to get out of bed every day and take care of all those children. And it was really just because the kids needed me so much that I had to get up and to stay on a schedule and to to take care of them every day. Yeah. So if you had a spouse that came to you today and said, hey, Lizanne, let me like give you the lowdown of my situation. I got a four-year-old. I got a two-year-old. I got a newborn that'll be here any day. And I got a hurricane and I got a spouse that's deployed. And I hear you saying, I hear you, Lizanne, saying, yeah, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. You're not in it alone, but I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. Like, what do you say to that, that spouse? I mean, in that moment, absolutely. I would just love to give them a huge hug because I think we all need that connection and that support and just knowing that someone out there understands and has been through a similar situation before. But something that I repeat again and again in my book is to just build that support system. And Mm. hopefully I can give them that advice before it's too late. You know, you can't be building your support system when you're on your way to the hospital to deliver. That's something that you want to be doing before the deployment, during the pregnancy. The more that you're reaching out and just collecting phone numbers from your neighbors and making sure that you actually have a way to reach someone if you get locked out of your car or need someone to pick up your toddler from school or daycare or whatever. The more emergency resources that you've collected and the more emergency plans that you've gone over in your mind or on paper or given out instructions to other people, then the less emotional weight that you have to carry around on your shoulders, worrying about every possible scenario all the time. So once I made like a family care plan to help me in case I was in a car accident, no one was in my state to take care of my children. Once I had worked through that scenario and what would happen and who should be contacted, then I didn't have to go around worrying about it every day because I knew that there was a plan in place. And God forbid, if that did happen, that it would be taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. That's some really good advice. Let's talk about our youngest military spouses. I'm talking about the, you've probably dealt with these spouses before, Mm -hmm. 17, 18, 19 years old. The service member is E1, E2, E3. And who are many times reluctant to reach out, especially to a senior spouse. So a spouse of a senior officer or of a senior NCO, what advice do you have to them? Or maybe even better, the advice for spouses of officers and senior NCOs to reach those young spouses that may be struggling. They may not raise their hand and say, hey, I need help. But what are the signs that they should be looking for? And And how should they be going about approaching and helping these young men and women build their network? Yeah, you're right. It really does go both ways. The weight of that responsibility is not just on one person or one group. So I appreciate you recognizing that. I think for the young spouses, I always encourage them to connect and to realize that you're not going through this life alone. You're not facing this challenge as the very first military spouse who's ever had to deal with problem X, Y, and Z. So somewhere out there, someone else has been through this and has probably figured out a way to handle it and can walk you through the paperwork or walk you through how to connect with the right people. But I also always, always encourage people to seek out the resources because I had to kind of learn the hard way that the resources that are available, at least for us as a Marine Corps family, they changed with every single base. And so 
Sometimes there were really great local resources and there would be programs available on the base. And then you'd move and you'd go to a new location and it was just a whole different scenario. And so it kind of felt like reinventing the wheel every single time that once I had learned that the YMCA was a great resource, it worked at one location, but it didn't mean that I could just automatically go to the YMCA at the next duty station. So it feels like the more people that you talk to and ask, hey, how have you handled this situation? Or what's a local resource that's made a difference for you? Or how can I save money on this? Someone out there is doing that right now and they can tell you how to do it and how to connect with that resource. And for me, sometimes just connecting with one local resource or program can make a huge difference for my family, for a deployment. It just makes things so much easier. Yeah, I agree. I think that's really sound advice, not only for the, like we mentioned, the the young spouses, but the more senior spouses who've been through it and know exactly where to turn and how to deal with. And in some instances, you know, how to make people feel better about their situations or at least how to help them move, move through their situations. So again, thank you. Now you've obviously written about your experience in life, but what drove you to to write about and to advocate so much for other spouses? Yeah, I think it's the desire of giving people the support and the friendship that I wished I had had in certain scenarios, Mm -hmm. or in some cases, the friendship and support that I did have. I did not get here on my own. There were so many spouses that have helped me along the way. And some of them I mentioned in the book, and some of them are just anonymous people that were answering questions on Facebook pages. But every answer, every person who's reached out, everyone who ever offered help made a difference in my journey. And so I want to be that person for this next generation of younger spouses. I don't feel like we should have to reinvent the wheel every time. I don't feel like it's right for spouses to just be thrown into the swimming pool and figure out how to swim on their own. And some of the supports and the resources that we had 20 years ago when the Iraq war started and when my husband was first doing his deployments, a lot of those have been defunded and canceled and no longer exist. So I do sometimes find a disconnect in that military community that we keep telling spouses, oh, don't be afraid, go to use the resources on base. There's so many resources out there for you. And yet when they go to the base website, the websites are broken and no one's answering the phone numbers. And there's just that huge disconnect between actually connecting people with the resources that they need. So being able to be a voice that can kind of guide someone through the storm and hold their hand and say, I've been there before. This this is really hard. But I also know that you're strong enough to get through it. And here's what you can do for your next step. I think that that'll make all the difference. Yeah, I think it makes a huge difference. And again, I just can't thank you enough for the work that you do in this space. Let's talk about it. And I see it there behind you, the copies uh, behind you. Let's talk about Open Win. Yes. Letters of Encouragement for Military Spouses. So what can readers expect from this book? So it's a new idea. I don't think that there's many books out there like this. We're all familiar with the topic of open when letters that your service member deploys and you stuff a bunch of letters into their backpack that says open when it's your birthday or open when you really miss me. And I think those letters are great and they can be super supportive and a great way to connect across long distances. But I also realized no one is writing them for the spouses back home. So this is my collection of letters to support my male spouse community. Every letter is on a specific topic of a very specific challenge of military life. And there's a section on deployments. There's a section on PCS moves. There's a section on just the ups and downs of military life. But it's something that you can just open up and read for two minutes. They're pretty short letters, just a few pages for each one. Mm -hmm. And it gives you that 
just burst of encouragement and support and a friendly voice and empathy and some practical next steps that you can take right where you are, right in that place. And if you want to read them all the way through, the book would be a beautiful, encouraging read, but I think a lot of people are reading it skipping around and just reading the letters that are most relevant to them. It's something that can stay in your bookshelf throughout your military journey and you just pull it down when you need it the most. Yeah, absolutely. And that is such a great idea. So I'm going to jump on and order a bunch of copies so that I can give out to spouses and the folks that I know that I think it would be helpful for. So absolutely. I would love that. And I am so excited to be able to make a difference in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. So when speaking of making a difference, when did you realize that letters like this could make such a positive impact in the lives of spouses? I had the idea during my husband's sixth deployment, which was his first non-combat deployment. (laughs) And he was on a Mew, a Navy ship out in the Pacific. And I was home with four kids. And I had been tossing around the idea of writing a book for my military spouse community for a while, but I couldn't really settle on, you know, did I want to write a memoir? Did I want to write a resource style book? And I didn't really like either of those ideas. So when I had this concept of writing letters, it just, everything fell into place. Not only is it the way that I speak and the way that I'm passionate about supporting my community, but also they're very short and sweet. And so it's something that I could sit down and focus on for just an hour or two at a time when the kids were sleeping and become very immersed in a particular moment of military life and really visualize what I had been through at that point, what the reader might be going through, meet them where they are, and then just wrap it up and get back to all my other chores and responsibilities. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. You said when the kids are sleeping, two and a half hours, one one hour, what have you, because I imagine that There are spouses out there who may be listening to this podcast who says, man, I just don't have time. I don't have the time or the energy after dealing with the kids and the house and the cooking dinner and all those things. So how do you maintain the focus? How do you, where do you get the energy? Is it about energy management, time management? Like, so what's the secret sauce, especially with at the time, four kids, but five kids now, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you find the time and the energy to do all the things that that you do? So I will say it comes one step at a time. Mm -hmm. So I don't want someone to look at, you know, my current, you read a very lengthy bio in the beginning and that did not happen overnight. So it's not realistic to just say, oh, I'm going to take one hour during nap time and write a book. (laughs) So when I started, it was partially out of the need to serve my community, but it was also partially out of the need to have a second income or some source of income. The military, in its wisdom, sent our family of six to live in Orange County, California, which is incredibly expensive. So I could not afford childcare with four kids and I had to stay home with them. But I also needed some type of income just to be able to have them do sports and activities or any type of after school event. And we wanted them to be able to participate in those types of things. So my blogging initially was just to make a very minimum amount each month so I could cover my children's activities. And that way we could have my husband's salary for all of our family's essentials and I could feel comfortable letting them join the soccer team and scouts and things like that. So the blogging is, it was a very small source of income initially. And that's why I was able to do it just one or two hours at a time. It was not a regular full-time job. And over the years, I've built layers on that. And so... The blog is now mostly self-sufficient. I don't spend a whole lot of time working on it and refreshing it right now, but the content is still out there available to support people. 
And the book was written over a very long time period. I think it took me about three years between coming up with the concept and writing a draft and connecting with a publisher and then having the publisher suggest a complete rewrite. So that took quite a while. And then to actually get to the publishing process or the, uh, the day when you can release it to the world. So it's not an overnight success story. But yes, I did start in brief times when my kids were very young during a deployment, working during nap time and bedtime. And then it has grown into a part-time job. I work now part-time as an editor for PCS Grades, which I love. And I do have a toddler still at home with me, but my husband's also more available now to help with childcare. So he's with her right now, in fact. That is amazing. We'll tell him we said thank you for his service and uh, tell him we said hi. I will. The right, the process of writing. So were you a natural writer? Did you enjoy writing? just in general, before you start doing the blogging and writing books? Or was that something that you had to train on or get up to speed about? I have always loved writing. I actually did my undergraduate degree in English literature. So I've loved reading and writing and I wanted to be an editor someday. I just had no idea it would work out in this winding military journey. (laughs) But it has all kind of fallen into place. I got my degree in 2004 and then promptly did other careers that had nothing to do with writing, and then ended up between moving to multiple duty stations, unemployed for quite a while. So it was almost a decade before I bothered writing again. And I think that's unfortunately a somewhat common story among military spouses. We have all of these dreams and skills and aspirations that we kind of put on the back burner and we say, oh, maybe at the next duty station, maybe after military life, maybe after this next deployment. And it's really common to delay those dreams. So when I was finally, after a decade, able to start writing again, it was initially blogging about our overseas duty station, which was Rota, Spain. Mm. And I learned that my blog was super useful to the families that were stationed there. So eventually that was published. I self-published that book and it's called Welcome to Rota. And because I'd had that toe dip in the pool of writing and publishing and finding fulfillment in that work, I think that's what inspired me to start my professional blog, the Season Spouse blog, and to really start writing a book that I wanted to have traditionally published a few years ago. Yeah. So I think the theme that I'm hearing, and this is something that I think you have in common with Amanda, Amanda Huffman, who, well, and that I spoke to not too long ago, Mm -hmm. because she also had a very lengthy bio that (laughs) I read. But it sounds like the key to all of this is... And I learned this from Denzel Washington in The Equalizer. Progress, not perfection. Mm. And so it won't come overnight. But if you just do a little bit and you do a little bit more and you do a little bit more someday, you'll be Lizanne Lightfoot. (laughs) I appreciate that. Yeah, I think it really is. It's When I started blogging, I would look at some of these other big name military spouse websites and, and blogs and books and magazines even. And I thought, oh, they'll never pay attention to me. Like I'm just this tiny little voice in a corner of the internet. And these people have been established for years and they have sponsorship and they have like a full-time job doing this. And I was amazed how supportive our community could be that military spouses, for the most part, don't see each other as competitors. We see each other as collaborators. And so Mm -hmm. I love that expression that a rising tide lifts all ships. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That you know, one person's success does not mean that another spouse has to fail. One person's success means that our entire community is more successful, more confident, stronger. 
And the military spouse community was incredibly supportive when I first started and has been throughout the journey. So if anyone out there is thinking about starting their own company or website or writing a book, I want you to know that we want you to succeed. And I hope that that will work for you. Man, this is, well, I can't wait to (laughs) release this episode. Let's go back to open win of all the letters. Which one means the most to you personally and why? I really struggle to answer that one because so many of them are based on, you know, very specific experiences in my life that I started learning over time were common experiences. And people go through these difficult challenges where we, at first, we're afraid to even speak up about them. We think, oh, there's something wrong with me or something wrong with my relationship or wrong with my marriage if I'm angry at the military or if I'm fighting with my service member before deployment or if I'm not missing them in the correct way while they're gone. So there's so many very personal letters, but one that was the most moving for my editor that I've, I've done a full length reading of, and it's hard to even get through it without crying sometimes, is open when you have to leave a home you love. Mm-hmm. Because when I wrote that, I was thinking not only of leaving our house in Spain, which was beautiful and a very permanent move. We knew that it's very unlikely that we'll ever go back to Spain and be able to see that community again. But I was thinking of leaving the first house that we had bought together as a young couple where I'd had our babies and welcomed him home from deployments. And I was thinking of my parents' house that I left on my wedding day. We actually had my wedding at my parents' house. It's a beautiful farmhouse in this lovely rural setting. And leaving the house after the wedding, I knew that there were so many memories and so many meaningful events that had been there that military life was definitely going to take me away from that. And so thinking about all of those experiences and realizing that every military spouse has to leave so many homes, whether it's their childhood home or the first home they buy or duty station that they've really enjoyed, that we have this pain and these little holes in our hearts that we just kind of carry all these places around with us every time that we move. So that letter it does mean a lot to me, and I think it will really reach a lot of people. Yeah, I think so. You know, I was just thinking about the amount of times that we ask our service members to change duty stations and what it does to uproot families. I was stationed in Kansas at one time, and we had a, an incredible number of people who had been at this one installation anywhere from 8 to 20, 20 years, which is kind of odd, right? And right. They were, these were active duty service members. And of course, as the big chief, I'm coming in like, hey, you guys are here too long. You got to move and stagnant and stale and so on and so forth. Until one young man, he was a staff sergeant. He was an E-5 in the Air Force. And he said, you know, chief, when I'm here, I've deployed seven times. He was a, he had been in about six or seven years and he had already deployed either six or seven times. And he said, when I leave, Because I'm from, he wasn't from Kansas, but I think he was from a neighboring state like Oklahoma, maybe, or Colorado. Mm -hmm. He said, when I leave, my family is close. My wife has developed an incredible network of friends and spouses here. And as much as I would like to go somewhere else, what the Air Force is asking me to do and what this place does for my family, I just don't want to leave. And it changed my whole mindset about making people and looking down on people for staying at one installation for so long, because I just hadn't thought about the family aspect. So that's pretty amazing. And I know a lot of people will get a lot from that particular letter. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for understanding. It is a huge disruption to the family. And I just, 
a huge emotional and physical mental investment every time we move and have to reestablish ourselves. So that's a big part of what that section of the book is about is finding that support as you go through the entire moving process. Yeah. So you've already accomplished a lot and you have so much more that you're working on and so much more that you'll be doing when it's all said and done. You're sitting around on the front porch, maybe back in Rota, Spain, drinking a glass of lemonade. What do you want your legacy to be? What do you want people to remember most about Lizanne Lightfoot? That is a loaded question. But I think the book is something that I'm really proud. If that is my legacy and what I end up being remembered for more than my season spouse blog or more than my initial book that I wrote about Rota, Spain, this book is, it's really my heart shared with our military spouse community. And right now, I am still an active duty spouse. We still have another year or two left on his contract. So we're kind of hanging in there till the end. So right now, I'm very much in this life, living on base, kind of in the trenches with the community. But I hope to stay connected and involved even after he can do whatever he wants with his job. But this is where my passion is, is supporting this community. And so I would love to be known as a speaker who can come to military bases and build up those spouses as they're preparing for a deployment or as they're getting welcomed after a busy PCS season. I would just want to be a voice of comfort and knowledge and empathy in our community because I think it's such a scarce commodity. Yeah. And I'll certainly be an advocate for you and Amanda and other folks like the two of you who are advocating for and doing just so much for our spouses. I'm wondering if you had, you know, you said you would like to go to the bases and speak to spouses. If I was still in the Air Force and if I was in charge of, of anything military related, and I would ask you to come and speak to commanders and senior leaders, mm-hmm. what would you tell them about how to interact with what things they should be thinking about when it comes to the spouses? Because senior leaders, I always hear them say stuff like, We enlist the member, but we retain the family and all these other different things. But just to be frank, to be honest, it was very late in my career when I started really thinking about and making decisions centered around, hey, what might be good for the family and the spouse? So you got a group of senior leaders, active duty, Guard Reserve military members. What would you say to them about how to better care for spouses in the military? That is a great question. (laughs) I haven't thought about that before. So I do, I would say that I consider myself a bridge between those generations. Yes, my husband's been in for 20 years now. So I do remember some of those earlier days in the Iraq war and how things were done then and a little bit before social media and before the internet. So I'm old-ish, I guess. But I also connect with the younger community I still have a toddler at home, so I'm still out with the young moms trying to figure out how to navigate military life with their first toddler and doing their first move and their first deployment. So I do feel like I connect with both of those groups. And yes, I think there's a disconnect that senior leadership did not get where they are today using today's circumstances. They're using the circumstances and the resources that were available 20 years ago, and that is what was formative in their career. So there does need to be dialogue and I think some eyes opened about the state of military families and spouses today. For example, just military spouse employment, a huge, huge change over the past 20 years. I think it was sort of expected 
in the 90s that the default was for the service member to be full-time and the spouse to not be employed at all, or perhaps volunteering and super involved on base or something like that. But that is not the default and the standard anymore. And the majority of families enlisted and officer, the spouses want to work. And in some cases, the spouses need to work to supplement the military income. So just to have an understanding of what that means for the service member and for the family and how children are being cared for and how spouses' needs are being met from a career perspective and a professional perspective, there are so many small things that leadership could do to make military life a little bit more bearable for the families. And some of that's communication. Some of that is scheduling and just having kind of a common sense respect of family's time and needs to plan major events in advance. So the more that they can think of families, I think it would make an incredible difference for service members and the spouses and the children. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to find a way to get you in front of some senior military leaders to give them a piece of your mind about what they should be doing there. I'll see what I can do. (laughs) Well, good. What keeps you up at night? Besides my children. (laughs) who thankfully are are mostly old enough to sleep through the night so I can have coherent thoughts again. But I do think about blog topics and book ideas at night sometimes. I am a creative person, so I'll have a story or a, a sentence that I'm reworking in my head. But also sometimes I'm just thinking about our future. My husband has only ever known this life and he is starting to prepare for retirement. So we already know where we're going. We have a house picked out and that we've purchased in Pennsylvania. Okay. So we have that step taken care of. So we can kind of begin planning the next stage of our life in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, which will be a very different life for me and for the kids and for him. So thankfully, we haven't had to do a PCS move recently. But when we did one a year ago, it was a ditty move. I packed up and moved our entire house and helped my husband load it into the truck. And there were many sleepless nights of just trying to think about how I was going to pack things and where we were going to stack certain (laughs) furniture and what we were going to put in the kids' little things to entertain them in the car. I mean, I'm a very detail-oriented, step-by-step planning person. So a lot of things keep me up at night. Yeah. (laughs) And for those listening who may not be military members or spouses, Diddy Move is do-it-yourself move. So typically, you have the option when you're in the military to have the military move you at no cost to yourself, or you can move yourself. And, and sometimes you can actually benefit from doing that. So yeah, that's, uh, I can see how that uh, <laughs> can be stressful at times. For sure. When you're not writing, when you're not speaking, when you're not editing or doing all the things that you do, what do you do for fun? How do you keep yourself balanced and, and happy? Yeah, I have finally learned that that is important. It took me a long time as a mom and in my marriage to really prioritize that. I'd hear that term self-care and I'd think, well, that's something for people who want to take a day to go to the spa. And I don't have a day to go to the spa. So I guess self-care is not for me. (laughs) And I do talk about that a little bit in the book too, the importance of just finding little daily routines. So for me, I do enjoy baking. I bake a lot with my kids. Our family enjoys hiking and taking bike rides. And currently we are in Southern coastal Mississippi. So There's a lot of nice areas for hiking and biking around here. And as a daily routine, I enjoy a cup of tea. And so that's what I've been drinking here. It's kind of a little ritual that I've developed while I was working at home, something that I do just for me. And so I enjoy taking some time to make some tea and relax and think about what I'm doing and where I want to be that day. 
Yeah. I love that advice. I love that you started with, hey, you don't have to take a day to go to the spa in order to practice self-care. I just think it's, and I didn't learn this, Lizanne, until really, really, really late in my career. In my mind, I thought I don't have time to rest. I don't have time to relax because I got to take care of the people. I'm so busy making sure that the Air Force and the Airmen are taken care of until one day I hit a wall. It was my first day, first year, the end of my first year as the chief master in the Air Force. And I got sick. I was thinking back on it now. We didn't have uh, coronavirus back then, but I'm like, maybe I had it in 2017. (laughs) It just knocked me off my feet. And it made me realize like, hey, man, if you want to take care of everybody else, you got to put your mask on first and you got to start taking care of yourself. And it just it was a transformative moment for me. So, um, yeah, I did use ministry when I was a Right out of college, I worked in the church and I served high schoolers in a youth ministry program. And something they told us a lot was you can't pour from an empty cup, that you need to be focused on fulfilling your own spirituality and fulfilling yourself as a person before you can go around ministering to other people. And it's so true. I mean, you can't be exhausted. You can't be fighting. You can't be going through all these emotional challenges and then trying to tell other people, hey, I'm strong. I'm here for you. I'm going to encourage you through this situation. And so it's something that I had to learn in ministry as a mom. Absolutely. You can't be helping your kids when you haven't slept at all at night. And I do view a lot of my work in the season spouse writing as a ministry. You know, It's not something that's a huge profit for me, but it's something that I love and that I'm going to continue to do no matter whether people are paying for it or not. <laughs> Add preacher to the rent the rest of you, your role as a Renaissance woman. I, I love it. So <laughs> thank you so much. Last thing. So you recently announced that you'll be co-hosting a weekly webinar. Tell us about the webinar. Yeah, it is with PCS Grades, which is a company I've been working for two years. They focus on helping military families through the PCS process by doing neighborhood research. We have area guides on all these different military bases across the country and reviews where you can actually log in and see what other military families have said about certain on-base neighborhoods, off-base neighborhoods. So you're getting this really great feedback and information to help you make decisions for your family. Well, I've been writing for PCS Grades as their editor for the past two years. And recently we had a team member move on because of a great new opportunity that opened up for her. So they wanted someone to do the weekly webinars. And I decided it's time that, you know, I don't want to be always behind the screen writing the blogs and publishing the work, but I really do enjoy interacting with people. So every week we're going to have a new guest from the moving community or real estate or other military spouses. And it's just been such a great opportunity to share their wealth and their knowledge and their resources with the community. Wow. Looking forward to it. Can't wait to check you out. Lizanne, this has been amazing. I just, again, want to say thank you for your incredible work, the advocacy that you have and you continue to have for military spouses. I mean, you are making a huge difference in this community. And again, not just with the spouses, but with the military members as well and keeping families hold and whole and progressing forward in their careers together. So again, thank you. I want to turn it over to you for any last words or thoughts or comments or advice for all of us out here in podcast land. Well, I just want to welcome everyone who is looking for me. You can always find me on my Season Spouse website and on social media. I'm also Season Spouse. So 
if you are looking for any encouragement and support or struggling with military life challenges, please turn to those resources because I guarantee you are not alone and I want to support you and many other spouses do too. So, and if there's someone out there who has been thinking about writing or publishing a book, I'd absolutely love to help you foster that dream and answer questions and help you take the next steps. Yeah. Thank you again. I really appreciate it. And and this is just going to be an amazing resource for so many of our spouses. So thank you once again, ladies and gentlemen, this has been your episode of Airman Helping Airman with Lizanne Lightfoot. So thank you once again, Lizanne, and we'll make sure that people know how to contact you and get in touch with you and access all your resources. And if you ever need anything, make sure you reach out to me and Air Force A Society and we'll be more than willing to help and support you in all your endeavors. So thank you once again. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Airmen Helping Airmen, brought to you by the Air Force Aid Society. To find out more about how we make a difference, visit AFAS.org. And then be sure to search for Airmen Helping in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of everyone at the Air Force Aid Society, thanks for listening and join us on social media.